0: Is knowing that any information about themselves that gets on the, the internet might somehow jeopardize the safety of someone they work with overseas. And so it's already a blessing to be willing to be here. And so I just want to prep us if all of a sudden nobody's name is mentioned or nobody's face is seen on the internet because the camera is now recording the ceiling. We are loving people on the front lines. That's why we're doing this. And so um, our speaker is now free to do whatever he, she, or they wanted to do. I see, see, see. And uh, why don't we just pray together as a church and bless this time, all right? So if we want to bow our heads together... Ask God to speak. Father, even as we want to do practical things, to be sensitive, we are ultimately trusting you to guard, protect, lead, guide, and to rule and overrule all the events of history. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and give grace, power, wisdom, and leading for each one of us. And Father, I pray more than blessing our speaker I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear what the Spirit is saying and to be on mission with you. And we ask these things for the mighty glory and sovereign power and praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Rob. Salam alaykum. jordi, mushi, zamanum harunde al khazada, so, translation: My name is Harun. This is my wife, Najla. So, I'm just using our Central Asian names today. So, may you not grow tired. Um, greetings to everybody on YouTube. And uh, yeah, we're just glad to be here with you. And she's going to introduce our work and our family just a little bit. And then I'll launch into the message.
2: Oh yeah! supposed to oh, yeah. This Oops. one here, or that one? It's about to be on, I think.
1: Okay. There it is.
2: Awesome. Can you all hear me? Great. It is such a treat to be here. I don't think our whole family has been able to be with Dallas when he speaks. I think it's been at least five or six years. So yeah. we are excited. Um, you're okay with? Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Dallas and Anne, it's our first meet. We're going to trust the Lord with that. And uh, we have our kids here. Three, uh, two boys in the back, one boy here. So our oldest spies John, his name is Trace. And then we have Mobin John, his name is Tobin. And here we have Movin John, who is Jaren. And we got to have all of our boys with us in Afghanistan. Now, Jaren is a little bit upset because he doesn't remember it. He was too little. So he really would like to go back and remember things a bit better. It's hard to be the youngest. We also have his mom and dad here, so Peter and Dorothy Hebert were able to come today. So, yeah, hi mom and dad, thank you for coming. And uh, I'm going to go sit down now, and I didn't know you wanted me to do about the work, so That's good. about <laughs> communication, I guess. But thank you for having us here. We mm-hmm. so appreciate it. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Thank you. Thank
1: you. I would love to hear Jaron preach. it's coming one day yeah so we had the privilege of being overseas and representing the canadian body of christ in the muslim world and we were able to serve there about three years and then god actually he kind of had his timer go off and said all right that's actually all the time you get here Um, and so then we came to canada and so now we represent the muslim world to the canadian body of christ So I've been able to be the Canadian Director for Frontiers for this is my fifth year now, and it's a joy to serve. It's great to be connected with Calvary. I was just thinking this morning of the different ways. Scott and Elisa, we were both prepping for heading overseas back in 2007 in a prayer group together. We met Darnell and Christy after they came off the field. Um, And then Rob came to a pastor's dinner that we did for Frontiers. Greg, wherever he is, he's led worship once or twice for our staff retreats. Darian... Helped lead and host a joint youth event that we did with YWAM here in Steinbach with Frontiers. And I've chatted with Matt a few times. Kelsey's fixed our van by now. And I met Shar. We used to be neighbors 25 years ago together. So all kinds of cool stuff going on here. More connections up ahead, I'm sure. So I know Salt and Light is all about family. And I just want you to know that our family is experiencing family in connection with Calvary. It's a huge blessing. And this is off my notes, but I'll go over here. But uh, you just look at any family, my own kids, they don't always get along. Maybe we're the only family like that, but we don't all think the same. Good thing is, that's not what makes us family though, right? We've got a common birth, and I would just say same thing for church. It's the exact same thing. We don't all think the same. If we did, most of us would be unnecessary, right? We need diversity, So we've got to have people that want to wear masks or don't wear masks. We've got to have people that see theology, but different. That's part of the important diversity that is part of the body of Christ. So I just want to say that. What unites us? We've got common birth, don't we? And most importantly, we're heading in the same direction. We're going to glory together. We all have hearts focused on the Father and His love for for us. And when we all focus on Him, what happens? We're all facing the same direction. We're all moving in the same direction. That's God's plan for unity in His body. So I just want to bless you with that family experience this morning. All right. Next Saturday is our Frontiers online fundraiser. And the theme is Miraculous Multiplication. And so that's on my mind. It's on my heart. I want to kind of gear up for that. I hope a bunch of you are able to make it to the fundraiser. It's going to be super encouraging. And I'm going to talk about multiplication today. So I've got a question for you. Now, I don't normally carry an apple around in my pocket, but today I did. How many seeds are in this apple? Any guesses? All right, I'm looking at you. How many seeds do you think are in here? Let's yell it out. Ten. Ten. That's a great guess. But your sister has a guess too. Let's hear it. Eighteen. Eighteen. Awesome. So you're both right, because I can't actually check, right? (laughs) I have no idea. In fact, the only way that we can find out how many seeds are in this apple is if it goes through a crisis. We've got to cut deeply into this thing. And only then do we find out what's inside of it. And so that can kind of lead us to another question. What's inside of you? You've got character, personality. You've got vision and dreams. There's past decisions you've made. There's future decisions you're going to make. You've got positive potential. You have negative potential. right? All this stuff is inside of each one of you. And the only way we find out is as we go through crisis. That's when we see our responses, our reactions. That's the way we really see what is inside of us. Crisis is tough. It's never convenient. Crisis doesn't play nice. You can have accidents, job loss, health troubles, death. All of us have experienced it in some way or another, and we're super familiar with crisis in 2020. It's a buzzword. So all of us have some kind of experience of loss or dissonance with what's going on around us. So, a key question. How do we respond in crisis? And a normal response would be self-preservation. So I think of when we lived overseas in Central Asia, we were surrounded by the White Mountains, and there was three tectonic plates that converged together in this area of the world. So earthquakes were happening all the time. So we kept a little glass cup with a spoon in it, and at night we'd hear the... So we'd hop out of bed, quick run and pick up our kids, throw them over our shoulders and run down the stairs and out the house. And then after a minute or two, the ground would kind of settle, and we'd go back in. It was half fun and half scary, um, but now we can kind of remember the fun side a bit more, fortunately. But it wasn't easy for those that lived up in the mountains, right? Villages would be destroyed, there'd be mudslides, all kind of stuff would go on, and so our organization distributed tents and house supplies to help these families get back on their feet again. Um, it was tough for them. COVID-19, all kinds of Self-preservation that we're seeing here, right, where people want to stockpile on on gas or food, or we've seen all kinds of things, you know, runs on, on the shelves of, of stores. Um, and I would just highlight that self-preservation is a God-given instinct. Prudence, caution, these are healthy things. If you don't have them, then you probably need to grow a little in that area. But a point I'd like to make is that self-preservation can become too strong in our life. We sometimes live this way in self-preservation mode, even if there's no crisis taking place. It's a little ironic, maybe, but we can become insular, which is just being uninterested in cultures, ideas, or peoples outside one's own experience. So instead of maintaining a large circle of care for others, we've heard Matt talk about the importance of community. Instead of having that large circle, we draw it in real tight, draw our circle in as close as possible, and we become afraid of change. And we might want to hoard our resources, avoid new relationships. We might even become kind of lethargic, afraid to go out, wanting just to stay home all the time. I think of King David, who slipped into this insular mode of living. When he didn't go out at the wartime, and we know the story, he fell into adultery. His story reminds us that we sometimes expose ourselves to greater danger by avoiding danger and clinging to safety and comfort. When we take safety into our hands, we step outside of God's will. The Bible talks a lot about safety, but it presents safety as something that God provides. And so when we pursue safety first, we can miss God. When we pursue following the way of Jesus first, then he takes responsibility for us as we walk through the world. And it's a dangerous world. And we might not experience safety. How in the world would Jesus have gone to the cross if God promised us perfect safety as one of his children? No. Danger sometimes is inherent in the life of a follower of Jesus. Jesus often spoke to this insular life of self-preservation. Matthew 16, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his his life, for my sake, will find it. So Jesus understood a lot about passing from death into life, about embracing death and what it meant. So here's a key verse for this morning. This is John 12:24 to25. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Now, there's no way that makes sense, except that we know that it's true, right? Jesus is so often counterintuitive. You've got to let go of your life to finally find it. This is the gospel, So if I would sum everything up, I want to say today, instead of preserving your life, die to yourself. Then God can cause, can use crisis to bring multiplication. God is all about multiplication. He's doing it in the Muslim world. I'm going to share about that. He wants to do it here too. And he brings it as we let go of our lives and we let him just fill us with his life. So God is a multiplier. I want to root this point in scripture. Multiplication is a sign of his blessing. I've got a bunch of examples I'm just going to zip through here. So, God commands Adam, be fruitful and multiply. He tells the same message to Noah. He gives a special promise to Abraham and that exact same promise to Hagar. I'm going to greatly multiply your descendants. There'll be too many to count. Isaac meets with the Lord, Genesis 26, and hears, I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. That's multiplication. A few verses later, we see that when Isaac planted his crops that year, he harvested a hundred times more grain than he planted, for the Lord blessed him. This multiplied harvest was a sign of God's blessing. Into the New Testament, Matthew 13, we see how Isaac's experience foreshadowed what Jesus taught. Remember the story of the farmer scattering seeds all over the place? Listen to this. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil. And they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. So these good soil people are marked by this blessing of multiplied fruit in their lives. Maybe that's us. I hope it is. Luke 6.12, we read, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. And from them, he chose 12, whom he also named apostles. Jesus, intentionally investing into these people who are then going to pass that teaching on to others. Matthew 13:33. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. And so, I did some advanced research on the internet, and it tells me, yeast uses the sugars and oxygen in dough to duplicate itself every 90 minutes by a process called budding. During budding, a mature yeast cell puts out one or more buds, each bud growing bigger and bigger until it finally leaves the mother cell to start a new life on its own as a separate cell. So, Jesus says this budding out process is a description of the kingdom of God. So, think about the yeast... As you listen to Jesus a number of chapters later talking about the Great Commission. Think about the yeast here. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. This is a perpetual cycle of obedience that the yeast budding shows us. As disciples go out to make disciples, to make disciples, to make disciples. So I think... Probably my favorite way to say it is Jesus has called us to be makers of disciple-maker-makers. So keep that phrase in your mind. God is a... What's that? All right. So Jesus has called us to be makers of disciple-maker-makers, right? Because we want disciple-makers, and they should be making disciples, and we should make these types of disciples, right? It's confusing, but we're going to drill in on this a bit. All right. So, next chapter has another miracle. Five loaves and two fish feeds 5,000 people. And in case you missed the point, the chapter after that has the same miracle done on a different day to a different group with seven loaves and a few fish. And then one bonus for the financial analysts out there, Jesus gives us an amazing return on investment example. And this is in Matthew 19. Peter said to him, We've given up everything to follow you. Full investment. What will we get? Jesus replied, everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. So tell me if that doesn't beat 1.75% interest. God is a multiplier and these examples show how he desires to multiply his blessing to us in love and through us to multiple others. But how does multiplication come? I think that's a key question. Does it just happen on its own? And I don't think it does. We see quite a pattern if we look at all these examples where multiplication comes through emptying. Emptying can be many forms. Stress, sickness, difficulty, pain, loss. All of us have tasted it in some way or another. But we always see emptying preceding multiplication. Let's zoom through these here. So with Adam, the earth was declared formless and empty beforehand. Noah, he had to spend, what was it, a hundred days? No, I think it was more than that. Yeah, he had an entire year where he and his family were confined to this ark. Hagar got this promise after Sarai severely, harshly treated her. And Abraham, after God's command to sacrifice his only son. Isaac's hundredfold harvest was significant because it happened during a famine. The sower in Jesus' parable faced frustrating results in three out of those four areas that he was casting seed. Jesus choosing 12 disciples was after a night spent in fasting, solitude, sleeplessness. Yeast only multiplies if you punch it. you got to knead it. Five loaves and two fish, that was after Jesus found out about his close half-cousin John the Baptist being executed. Seven loaves and a few fish, well, that was taking place in a remote location where for three days, or after three days, they had totally run out of food, and Jesus knew that these people had lost strength to the point where they would faint if they tried to make it back home. When Jesus promised to his disciples that they would get this hundredfold return on investment, he had just challenged a rich man to empty himself of his earthly treasure, and he had commended his followers for giving up their houses and families. So pain and loss and suffering do something significant to pave the way for God. And I want to add a personal example here this morning. Leaving our life in Asia was actually the most difficult time in my life. And it was followed by my wife experiencing a severe case of PTSD from which she didn't emerge for a full year. First, I lost the country, the language, the team, the local friends, the ministry that I loved. And then after that, I lost my wife as well. And I've never had such an empty feeling as that time. Each day of those 15 months, I leaned on Jesus as my rock with desperate confidence in one truth. And that is that any difficult thing that comes to us in life has to first be filtered through God's love for us. He filters all of it first. And that was that enabled me to stay confident, to still trust in God through what I was experiencing. But after my wife and I came through that time of emptiness, God spoke to us about multiplication. So I was at our international conference, and a guy came up to me, and he said, I just wanted to share a word that I feel like I got from God for you. It's, it's fruitful. I'm like, all right, great. And then a minute or two later, another guy walked up. Someone, a friend of mine who had spent time in prison for his, his witness, he said, Dallas, I just sensed God wanted me to say something to you. It was a uh, fruitfulness, even greater fruitfulness than you had on the field. And then uh, after that, another brother came forward and he said, I just have this sense of multiplication for you, that you are now multiplying leaders and God will use you to raise up new workers. And this has been our experience. Since we joined the Frontiers Canada Sending Base team, we've seen both the finances of the Sending Base and the home staff quadruple, which is super exciting. God has used Ange and I to open different doors of exciting ministry, and we know he's not done yet. And we give him the glory and the praise for this. But it's just beautiful how kind of these past 10 years have taught me to place great value on experiences that empty us, knowing that they're times of important preparation for what God wants to do next. Author and pastor A.W. Tozer said this, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man or woman greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Do we have the faith to value pain? Are we prepared to walk through emptying experiences, trusting in God's love and his bigger purposes? Jesus tells us, count the cost before becoming my disciple. Die to self. Expect pain. Expect criticism. Expect misunderstanding from the world. Expect persecution. Second Timothy three twelve is it? and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Wow, what a Bible promise. It was a good memory verse for Sunday school, and it is. We had our, our Frontiers Crisis Management Team meeting, actually downstairs in the boardroom, and we realized it's not if a crisis happens. We are doing this preparation for when the next crisis happens. Trials are promised to us. But these difficult experiences are the soil then where God's blessing of multiplication can grow. I'm encouraged that God refuels us for multiplication. Because if emptiness is necessary, how far can we go on an empty tank? I can't go very far. I've tried. I just crash and burn and have to lie in bed for 24 hours. The Bible says that while difficulties come to us through God's hand... God then also refreshes and sustains us every day. And there's a hundred scriptures I could give for this. Psalm 42, 7 and 8 says it really well. Listen to this. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me and through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Wow. Wow. These are God's waves that sweep over us and knock us down. But it's also God sending and pouring his unfailing love upon us. There's a mystery there, but this is how God works. I remember God gave me a waterfall image a few years ago. And I just kind of took this. I was with my son Trace together. And he ended up drawing a picture for me. Not this one, but it's a few feet over on my wall from where this picture is. Um, And I just took this as a real image of God's unlimited grace and love, right? Waterfalls don't end. They just keep pouring and pouring and pouring. It's refreshing. Um, and so my son and I went to Thailand a few years ago and we found this picture in the, in the bazaar and bought it and brought it home. Psalm 23, verse 5 is another, is a verse that kind of goes along with this image. David says, You prepare a banquet for me where all my enemies can see me. You welcome me as your honored guest And you fill my cup until it overflows. So David paints this picture of of this cup of blessing that God just overflows his love into. And what's fascinating is, is this kind of in that setting of all the green grass and the still water? No, he shifted the camera. And now the camera is looking at David surrounded by enemies. This is where that overflow of blessing is experienced in the middle of battle. God means for us all to be engaged in spiritual battle. And in this battle, we will experience His grace and His love constantly. If anything, battle gives us the context to appreciate His grace and His love so much more. If you're not in battle, you're not going to appreciate God's grace nearly to the same degree. So do you need refueling? I just want to give you a real direct invitation here to just pause and let yourself be filled up by the river of life. Jesus is the water of life. He wants to flow into each one of your hearts this morning, right now. And I don't need to do anything fancy for that to happen. You just tap into him. It's something you can just reach out by faith. You can receive that water of life. Do it every day. Don't miss out a day if you haven't dipped in the river of life, if you're not getting refreshed and renewed. So when we're fueled up for multiplication, receiving His grace and His love and His Holy Spirit is filling us, what's next? What does multiplication look like? So I want to share a few stories from our teams in the Muslim world just to encourage you to build your faith. Our Canadian field workers are joining Frontiers workers from 30 other sending bases, serving in 60 countries in the world. So we just praise God for the momentum that is happening as the church is lifting her eyes and seeing the opportunity of the Muslim world, the part of the harvest field that has been neglected for decades and centuries. And finally that is shifting, folks, and it's so exciting. I love Darnell's illustration. Where, and it's so true. Where are you going to go in some of these countries, and these areas, to actually find out about Jesus? Ah. Oh. But this is God's plan. That's why this one task has been given us, to go. You can see the 30 countries here that have the lowest percentage of population of believers in there. And of these 30 countries, 27 of them are Muslim. So if you're kind of scratching your head and wondering, where should we send the next workers to? I hope this is pretty clear this morning. You can kind of see the red dots are where unreached peoples are. This also overlaps with the Muslim world. Yes, many Hindus as well. It's an important strategic area. The biggest religious and unreached group in the world is the Muslim world, 1.8 billion. So this is the edge of the harvest field. And just to let you know, 80% of missionaries actually go work in Christian areas of the world, not where lost people are in the same way. So that's something that I think we can shift with one simple thing, strategic obedience. So let's send workers to the areas of the harvest field that need workers today. All of our teams on the field are working together for one thing. And that is to pursue movements of disciples and churches. So, what exactly are movements? On the next slide, you can kind of see our international director just kind of pointing out this, this to us in a group. I like this example of, so movements are just disciples of Jesus coming forward through multiplication, not just through addition. That's the simplest way. I like this example of multiplication by crew. If you led a 1,000 people to Christ every year for 36 years, wouldn't that be awesome? Imagine that. How many people would you have reached with the gospel? The answer? 36,000. That's more than Steinbeck. However, if you led three people to Christ, discipled them, and trained each one to reach three other people, and everyone that was discipled in turn reached three other people each year, then when we multiply the process out over 36 years, the number of disciples becomes, it's not 36,000, it's bigger than that. 1,048,576. So that's exponential growth. This is multiplication. This is Jesus' plan. Multiplication was built into the Great Commission, right? It's making disciples. But what's a disciple? It's someone who obeys Jesus. What does Jesus tell us to do? He tells us to make disciples. So that means every disciple is then necessarily also making disciples, right? And those disciples are also necessarily making disciples because they're also obeying Jesus. That's the mark of being a disciple, obedience. So, Jesus has an awesome plan, and it totally works. We just got to tap into it. All right. Three example stories from Africa, Middle East, and South Asia. First one, Kevin and Tracy in Africa. They've had a fruitful ministry, powerful move of God's spirit, but then they got kicked out of their creative access country. So now they live just across the border, and they brought in a shipping container a few years back of 5,000 Arabic Bibles to send into the believers across the border. And so they bring in church leaders every three months for training, and not just ministry skills, but also practical skills. They do something called dentistry and discipleship. And so they're training these pastors in pulling teeth and in multiplication-oriented ministry. So good. And so now they've had a a new group started out this year, and the past graduates are helping to teach. So that multiplication is happening. And Frontiers Canada right now is helping them to bring in a container of 32,000 Bibles, to equip the emerging local church movement that's now multiplying, and there's four generations of believers there. So an interesting statistic is 80% of movements are started by other movements. And so in this area, this one tribal group has now reached out and planted churches in three other tribes around there. And just one year, they saw 16 groups multiply to now over 80 groups. And so this is Acts 12, 24 in real life. But the Word of God grew and multiplied. It's happening, folks. Very exciting. Second story, Simon and Jenny in the Middle East. And I'm changing names, and these aren't all real pictures. Some of these are just random Google photos. So Simon and Jenny served in one country. They saw several come to faith. But new believers were just bringing inquirers to them because they were like the foreign experts at bringing people to Jesus. God actually shut the door in that country for them. So they had to move to a new region. At that time, they attended a multiplication training At that training, they learned, when you think about your vision, ask, what do you want to see take place, and what's it going to take? And Simon said, I realize that if Jenny and I are the center point, and everyone has to come and bring people to us and come to know Jesus, this is not going to happen. So they adjusted their approach. After lots of trial and error, they're seeing multiplication happen. So here's one example of how lives are changing, and I've heard him tell this story personally. They met a family of Syrians who had been blockaded in one area for three months. They were eating twigs, grass, half-starved. Their oldest son had been killed during that time. Both parents had major PTSD, and they didn't have any possessions. And so our Frontiers team was able to help them with food, blankets, mattresses. They did healing prayer with them, walked them through the grief process, and they started studying the Bible together. Now, their son had leukemia since he was six years old. And God told them to spend a lot of time in focused prayer for that son to be healed. So one day, they went and took their son to the doctor to get full testing for leukemia. They got some funding for it. After 13 years of their son having leukemia, he had no hair on his body. And the father said, Simon, I feel really optimistic. I feel God has healed my son. And they weren't believers yet. So Simon asked, what makes you say that? Well, the last time you guys were praying for my son... I saw this bright light. I wasn't sure if I was tripping out of my PTSD medication. I saw this bright light around him, and I heard this voice saying, your son is healed. So we got a full CAT scan and full testing, and on the way back home, the doctor called and said, the testing is fine. This boy has no leukemia anywhere in his body. So the dad starts singing and yelling, praise God, and Simon responds, well, you know what this means, right? Yes, we've got to tell everybody. And sure enough, the family began sharing. It became infectious among all their friends and their family. So this one family has now multiplied to between three and four hundred people studying the word of God in groups together. And over half of them have made a decision to enter God's kingdom together. God's just moving through them in a mighty way. Third story, Richard in South Asia. He started ministry in one Asian country and kind of he did self as strategy. He was a passionate evangelist, right? People just come to people and form Bible study groups, and he led six Bible studies every week. But eventually he was kicked out of the country, and all the groups dissipated. There weren't local leaders in place. Everything centered on him. But he met another agency worker, sat down, drank tea with him, and this agency worker had some local pastors there. One of them had, I think, 5,000 churches he was overseeing, The other local believer had only 2,000. It was kind of like, come on, you know, get going. (laughs) And this just totally changed his mindset. And so he took some training in multiplication ministry. And just fast-forwarding a little bit here. 2 Timothy 2.2 is a key verse. You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. And so they came to say, we're not going to be satisfied until we see four generations of believers making disciple-maker-makers. And so a year after that, they had 250 groups meeting together. And when I emailed this guy last, there's now more than 400 groups meeting together. I think next slide maybe you can go to. So God has just done amazing things in this area. So is multiplication only for the Muslim world? Well, good thing is it's not. There's different things that kind of make multiplication happen. And you can go... One more, I think. And one more. Sure, let's go there. All right. I'm not going to dig into them. I think I'd rather save that for another time. Um, But I do want to highlight that each one of us can be fueled for multiplication too. Some questions that you can think about. Maybe some of these will resonate with you. Have you died to yourself? Is your life on the altar? Are you wanting nothing but God's very best plan for your life? It's going to look different for every one of us. Do you see God as a multiplier who wants his church to be fruitful and multiply? A God who loves to bless us lavishly and do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Are you abiding under the waterfall of God's personal deep love for you individually and just letting that refuel you and fill you up? Are you hearing God's word, understanding it, bearing fruit as you obey it each day? Have you stopped asking, what can I do? And started asking, what's it going to take to see that vision that God might be putting in your heart? Are you willing to serve God wherever he wants you, even outside of Steinbeck? Could be possible. Just want to put that out there. If so, you're in a great place for God to use you in a harvest of multiplication. I don't know exactly what's inside of each of you. I'm not going to cut any of you open this morning, but God knows, and there's difficult things that are allowing these gifts and calling to blossom and emerge in each of you. The key is that living a multiplied life is not about self-preservation but rather a life of self-abandonment as we die to self and embrace the life of Christ. So, how are you investing to be fruitful and multiply? For some of you, it might mean learning more about God's global plan for his church or maybe supporting a missionary family. For someone else, it might be prioritizing discipleship options. For others, it might be saying yes to exploring what does it look like to serve overseas in another country where there's no church presence yet. So I just want to finish up with four invitations to you, just to encourage you, equip you further. First one, we've got our Frontiers Fall Fundraising Event. It's going to be super encouraging, the stories that are shared. Our former international director is there. One of our field leaders is there. you are going to love the stories. You just got to go to frontiers.ca to sign up, and it's happening this coming Saturday evening. There's some cards at the table in the back. Second, you can sign up for a Frontiers newsletter. We send three out every year. It helps connect you to what's happening in the Muslim world. It'll inspire your prayer life, and it'll challenge you personally, too. And whoever signs up gets a chance to win a book called Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, which is a great intro to loving Muslims and ministry with them. Third thing, perspectives. I get to talk to lots of people who are dissatisfied with their life spiritually. They're hungry for more. They know God has made them for more, and they want to tap into that. I can think of no better course than Perspectives that equips the church with this awareness of what has God called us to. I love it because it's balanced. It doesn't tell everybody to just go out overseas. But there's space for God might have you here, he might have you there. Location isn't nearly as important as our commitment to obey Jesus. It's about obedience and fruitfulness, not location. God's going to worry about where he puts you. Just be obedient and fruitful and he's going to guide you. So I encourage all of you to sign up for perspectives. But you can't because it's already half full. So, I hope you're all racing to the going global folks and saying, Hey, sign me up. Don't let him get in, right? <laughs> Push yourself to the front of the line. It's worth it. It's worth your time. Sign up. And the fourth thing, I just want to encourage you towards disciple making. Very simple. Talk to the ministry leaders at the back. Plug into something happening here at Calvary. Don't head out overseas if you're not making disciples here at home. But invest yourself in it. It's a different perspective. When you see someone, you're not just seeing that individual. You're seeing the disciples that they might make and the disciples that they might make, right? You're seeing generations as you look at each person. That's the disciple-maker's mindset as he looks out at others. So here's a statement of seeing things from different eyes that I like. It's not about asking how many seeds are in the apple, but how many apple trees are in the seed. That's the perspective of multiplication. How many apple trees are in each seed? That's what we're looking at. I think that's what God is calling us to today. So I want to close in prayer. If you want to bow your heads. Father God, we just acknowledge that you are Lord over the earth. And we see the emptying process that's happening in the world today. Where entire nations are being emptied, not just individuals. Something huge is happening as you're preparing us for a great time of harvest. So God, I ask that you would Pour out your rich, gracious blessing on Calvary Church, on this family here. I pray that disciple-maker-makers would emerge from this family here. Lord, give grace for multiplication ministry. We pray for blessing here in Steinbeck. We pray for blessing through Calvary to the nations. Release your spirit here. Release a rich experience of your love. God, we ask that you would bear fruit and generous lives in each person here that help to bring the good news of Jesus to those around us and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.